What's up, Canes fans? Welcome into another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast presented by Canes Wear. D-Money, Canes suffered their first uh, loss of the Mario Cristobal era last weekend uh, out in College Station. I know you were out there. Um, now that you've had some days to reflect, let, let's get into what we saw out there. I mean, it was boring, to be honest with you. You know, it was a boring game to Before watch. Before we recorded, that's all. You said it like three times as you walked in here. Because that was the vibe I got. I mean, I was there, you know. It was a beautiful stadium. It, it felt good. The air was good, but boring game. The people were very nice, surprisingly. I thought they were rowdy. They're not rowdy at all. This whole town is very orderly. It's like they all follow the rules on stuff. They got like 17 fight songs. It was like a whole playlist. A so whole it's, not, it's not a real SEC. No, I mean, like if you compare it to like Florida state like you go to tallahassee you know for a game there were no people throwing up there were no you know there was no drugs anywhere like it was very calm very clean very quiet for how for how big it was you know it wasn't totally quiet but it wasn't like you know miami notre dame or something like that or ob kind of noise despite the size um and then the game was boring man i wish it was exciting uh you know i wish i could have felt better afterwards because you know i'm an optimistic guy. I still believe in the staff and I'm so excited. That'll be a middle Tennessee state, you know, first thing on Saturday, but I can't say that I let that game juiced up about what I saw just from an excitement standpoint. It looked like, you know, a, I don't want to say it looked like 2019 because a lot of the extra stuff, just the off the field nonsense with the quarterbacks, some of the gimmicks and the, and the softness that wasn't there. The team showed up and was very physical and tough in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. And we'll, we'll talk about all that. You know, the tackling was, was way better. Both lines were not getting pushed around by an ACC school. So there was definite progress and change that we did not see with prior years. But um, in terms of offensive entertainment value, it would take me back to, to Danny Enos in 2019. All right. And unfortunately, it, it, the theme that we've kind of discussed you know, leading into the season, as I, we had the first podcast, what three, four weeks before the season, um, and really from the first episode, we we've highlighted the wide receiver group, mentioned how important it was going to be for this offense. Everyone's been so excited about TVD, the running back room. Uh, you know, was looked at as a deep room, and I, I you know, still is. I'm I'm so excited about that that position uh, moving forward. Um, but you know, we saw on. Saturday night with Restrepo's injury, which, you know, we recorded a podcast last week, you know, kind of had an idea that... Yeah, we had heard it right before the podcast, so it was a somber tone on the Canton Side podcast uh, last time we recorded, for good reason. Well, so we didn't really highlight him much, you know, last week, but we knew that the young guys were going to have to step up. Had some moments here or there, Jacoby George had, had, had a couple plays... Um, but no one really, you know, took over the way that, you, you know, they would have needed to. Yeah. It's, if you listen to the first podcast we did wrapping up camp or the, all the camp podcasts, what did you see in this game? You saw, uh, approved offensive line. You saw just more physicality on the lines in general. You saw Henry Parrish do his thing, which even when Cheney and citizen were still healthy, we were saying Parrish is going to have a huge role. You saw a defensive line that was certainly, in my opinion, you know, on the upper end SEC caliber, not Georgia, Alabama, but, you know, a good, legitimately good defensive line. You saw that come out, improved linebacker play, and then the defensive backs who we hyped up all camp, 
first two games didn't look so good. Now you saw what we were seeing with both Ivy and, you know, the safeties, Camp Kitchens, everybody else. So what you saw in camp showed up. The part that you didn't want to show up that did is that the receivers who did not make very many plays in camp outside of Restrepo continue to struggle and that the offense continued to struggle to generate explosive plays. So, uh, you know, the people talk about green tree and all that 95% of what you see on green tree usually shows up. The coaches know that. And we saw that in the Texas A&M game for better and worse. Is there a solution right now at that position? I mean, what do you think moving forward is, is it just going to have to be week after week? Someone's going to have to step up and, and be consistent and, not drop passes and become that go-to guy until Restrepo comes back? Or is it just going to be much of the same? It's still early. These guys can improve. You can find guys. You know, Romello Brinson is someone who he has to be the guy now or one of the guys now. There's no choice. Jacoby George out mm-hmm. as well with the broken thumb. Restrepo, of course, is out. Everybody else has struggled. He has the tools. And it's sort of sink or swim, which might be what he needs. Because you can't, you know, he made a lot of mistakes just blocking. You watch him in the game; he missed some blocks. Things that a young player, do, you know, the young players do, and the reason why you might not have seen him on the field earlier—just little mistakes. Now he might have to play through those because of depth issues. So that's going to lead to some errors, but at the same time, it might accelerate his growth, and he has the talent. So that's something to watch for someone like him. Um, but yeah, something I heard uh, throughout the week from people. In the, a couple different people in the league who are aware of what Miami has offensively was they kind of wondered why they didn't get the tight ends involved. You know, Arroyo had that play, right? And then Mallory had some plays, you know, through the third quarter and the fourth. Um, but you would have you liked to maybe see them target the tight end a little bit more, get them involved in the offense a little bit more. Yeah, you saw it with Mallory late, and you saw the play with Arroyo. There was also a play... Um, where Royo, the safety broke out up the last yep. second. That could yep. have been a touchdown. It would have been a total. Definitely. You know, obviously that would have. We'd be talking about the tight ends if that play would have been completed. So, you know, that's something that'll continue. Uh, a guy like Julio Skinner, we'll talk about. I'm sure later, who Coach mentioned in the press conference uh, today. We're recording. He's going to have a bigger role. We talked about him on the preseason podcast and some of the things he was doing from a running catch standpoint. Uh, I think you'll continue to see more tight end involvement. Um, those guys aren't going to go away from the game plan, but you need receivers to step up. Tight ends are not going to be catching 60-yard, 50-yard passes, you know, very often. So that dynamic downfield element, that ability to separate quickly, you're going to need that from the wide receiver position going forward. So if you want to talk about the positive side of things, right, we we talked about how this was a trenches game, right? And it wasn't completely won and lost in the trenches, right? Because the special teams came into play, which we'll also have to get into. Um, but Miami held their own there, right? And you talked about some of the veteran guys that Miami had on the offensive line. Um, they had their moments, I think, where where AM was able to create some pressure, right? And disrupt things in the passing game for sure. But for the most part, this was a much different Miami offensive line up front if you were to compare it maybe to something like florida versus miami in 2019 we're talking about 2019 earlier you're seeing some of the same faces whether john campbell or whoever else gave but the performance is much different john campbell looked like a legitimate high-end tackle i think he graded as the third best offensive tackle according to pro football focus in the entire country for that performance 
um, against good competition, obviously. Looks the part. I think left tackle's his spot. Uh, I would not want to move him around just because he's not a guy who's had a long track record of success. You don't want to take someone who's just starting to get going and move him. Uh, so I think he could be the left tackle possibly the entire season, even with Zion. So right. uh, that'll be interesting to watch. I thought he performed excellent. Uh, Jafari Harvey, someone on the defensive side, who I thought had one of his best games. Definitely. Really, yeah, he was getting pressure. You could feel his presence out there. Um, he's someone that was always kind of halfway there. He'd, he'd look athletic. He'd make a play. But just that last bit uh, of pressure never came through. Uh, he was able to land at the quarterback a little more in this game. And, uh, you know, against the run, they stood up. It just the look test looked different. Well, it's, the and, and then there's a guy like a Jordan Miller that you and I don't don't talk about much. But Mario Cristobal was talking about, I heard him talking uh, on the radio yesterday about an impact that a guy like him made. So he's, you know, it's different now when you can kind of throw bodies at the, at the other at the other team. Right. No question. At size, you know, these are guys that are not undersized. Jordan Miller's not undersized. Been around. Another guy who's been around. Been around. Stretching. Harrison Hunt's been around now, and I think he's, you know, getting that, uh, you know, grown man strength, so to speak. Him, He was obviously a basketball guy, so he's another one who's who's grown into his body. And then you see the flash plays from a, from a Leonard Taylor. Oh, absolutely. The, the interior pass rush that Taylor brings makes him so unique, makes him so valuable. Uh, that Those are drive killers when you get that interior pass rush. I think, in fact, that killed Texas A&M's drive when he got the pressure uh, on third down in, in early in the game. So there's a lot of options there. Mesador didn't even have a huge game, but you know he's good. Um, I, I, I like our defensive line. I think if you look at sack percentage, we're number five in the country uh, without even having that explosive game where we just go nuts. Like a, you know, Bethune was not a big sack game or something that boosted the numbers. So I think they're legitimately a, a good pass rush at this point, and we'll see – this weekend, it's Middle Tennessee who likes to throw the ball around. That's going to be interesting. Um, but we have a good pa- a pass rush, good defensive line stout. Linebackers, we'll see how that position group falls. I think that'll be very interesting now that you've gotten past this Texas A&M game. Corey Flagg has been awesome this year. He's gotten a lot better. Someone else we talked about that, you know, the comparison I heard with him from somebody around there is Kyle Lowry in terms of, like, he used to have that kind of body, and now he's gotten in better shape. So... That's led to more speed. He's obviously had the instincts always. But, you know, it's that little bit of extra athleticism that maybe it's a play where you just just missed the guy and now you're getting to the sideline and bringing him down. So uh, he's done well. And I think you're going to continue to see more speed. Caleb Johnson actually started the game, which I thought was interesting. He took the first snaps and, and had some nice moments. Um, Wesley was saying same thing, did some nice things. Chase Smith, leader of the special teams, he's going to get more and more of a role I think he should have. He was flying down there on kickoff. There was, I mean, the first kickoff of the game, he he got down down there. He didn't make the play, but you can just see it when you know in in kickoff coverage. And he leads the group. I mean, again, being there, you see him interact. He's he's out there pumping guys up. Uh, I've seen him in pass coverage. The guy's basically a safety. So right. you know, sometimes the young linebackers, you say, yeah, they can run and hit, but we don't want them in pass coverage. From at least from a fluidity movement standpoint, he is excellent in that respect. So. I don't see the downside of him playing more. I could see in a game like Texas A&M, you don't want one bust to lead to a huge play that decides the game. Uh, kind of like LSU. Remember that big run that really broke it open in that game? Right. You don't want to play like that, so you're cautious against the Texas A&M. But now that that hurdle's been cleared, now I would like to see Chase Smith. Because at the end of the year, when you play Clemson, if this guy's one of your better defensive players, you are now a better team 
because of his physical ability. And Wesley Besaint, same thing. Although I think Besaint, from an intellectual standpoint, he's going to be ahead of, of Chase Smith, just playing linebacker, the awareness aspect. Um, and he'll be for sure playing starting you know, this Saturday more and more every single game. Before we get on to the special teams mishaps, which I think we have to talk about, um, DJ Ivy, uh, you know, we've we've spoken out about him at length though for, for years, obviously, as, as you know, people know. But I don't expect you to take a victory lap here. It's it's a long season, but that DJ Ivy, is that what you, you know, kind of have heard as far as basically what you were projecting? Yeah, look, it's not a victory lap because I don't expect anything. I, you know, I'm I'm waiting and seeing with that because we've seen what happens from practice to games in the past. It's more support and, and being happy for the guy because I know he has that ability. And you, what you saw on Saturday is what we've all seen in practice: the length, the timing, the. It's just unique, unique length. You saw the confidence though in those plays, and you hope that those are moments that he builds upon, and you know kind of keeps them tracked in his mind and can can go back to them in those same third down moments that we've seen him be in position before and not be able to make the play. Absolutely. The confidence is key. And I think one thing that really sets the tone for him is the tackling. Cause he had a big one. He had, he had a couple big ones, actually. A couple big ones. And if you go back to the second half of Southern Miss, which was a very poor start for that game for him, he came out of the second half, really had some big hits, and that got the team going, got him going. That, to me, is the key. Because um, that's something he can really control. He should not be a, um, a questionable tackler at his size. He should be someone that you want them to run to as far as the boundary because of his size. He's he needs to ha- that needs to be a strength of his game. Because if he's six two, six one, you know, however many pounds he weighs, and he's a minus tackler, you know, he's never going to be the fastest guy. He has to be big in all aspects as far as playing corner. So that was I think that's the key to him. If he continues tackling well, playing with confidence, he'll have a chance to get drafted or at least certainly play in the NFL. We saw Mike Jackson for for Seattle Mm -hmm. really find a home. And he's someone that improved tremendously during his career. Um, So... And, can, and even the pros, even the pros continue yep. to develop. And now he's and he's a great moment. example of finding the right, you know, fit scheme wise and how important that is to where, you know, seeing guys develop at the next level. Right. It's like a receiver with speed is always going to get a lot of chances in the NFL, even if they struggle. A corner with length like that is always going to get chances as long as they're doing the right thing. So, uh, you know, really happy to see him. The whole secondary, I think, is it should be yeah. one. It's to me, one of the best secondaries in the country on talent. You look at the star rankings, you look at the experience, you look at the body types. Um, they really are a talented unit at, in, at any level of college football. So, you know, we'll talk about Middle Tennessee. They're going to throw it a lot more than Texas NM did. A uh, good opportunity to continue to, to get the momentum going with that group. Because by the time you play Clemson, you want to be known as a top-notch secondary that you're not going to just, you know, abuse, especially with the problems they've had at quarterback throwing the ball. Getting ahead of ourselves, but we need to now build to that second game to where you made progress against the Texas A&M weren't there yet. Can you get over the hump by the time you play Clemson, whether it's by schematic adjustments, whether it's by just maturity and experience in the team or just growing confidence with the secondary or whatever unit we're talking about and young players getting more opportunities and being more talented than the guys they're replacing. That's how you build during the season to hopefully peaking at the end of making a run at the ACC championship. 
So, you know, if you look at the box score, it's well documented now at this point that Miami, you know, if you put a blind test and ask, you know, after, you know, before the game, these are the numbers. Miami dominated in, in many areas. But if you look at the, just strip it all down, the special teams, you could say that if Miami played a clean game on special teams, the result, you know, could have been different. And obviously that's the game of football. Um, but you had the muff punt, a couple missed field goals, um, block field goals. You know, I don't exactly know who's, whose fault it was in the situation, obviously. But um, and then the the punt at the end that Miami has a few guys in position to, to jump on it and kind of reminded me of that uh, Notre Dame game a few years back. Right. Where where Miami, you know, had had Notre Dame was driving at the goal line. I think Jamal Carter forced a fumble and they just couldn't they couldn't jump on it but it was like man it was, if, if they would have jumped on it it would have been a miraculous win if they could have jumped on it and and somehow had another crack at it who knows but it, it was really won and lost in special teams at the end of the day it was but let's be real also everything you said is true but your offense scored 9 points right so you know I was trying to do some research on middle, uh, middle Tennessee and look at their offensive rankings, and they're towards the bottom of scoring at, at 20 points a game. I mean, Miami's at 19 points a game, and they had two p- cupcakes. So no injuries to the quarterback or anything that would be unusual. So that's, that's alarming. You know, that, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, fire this guy, this guy stinks. You know, this, it's, it's so early. But that's not good, especially with the amount of investment that's been, uh, you know, the money's been spent on the offensive staff. The talent you have at quarterback, the experience you have at offensive line, you have good running backs, you have good tight ends. Receiver is obviously a huge issue, but you can't be in the 90s, the scoring offense, when you played Southern Miss and Bethune. That's just, um, it's troubling. So we'll see how that, how that develops, um, but certainly we want to see improvement this week against, against Middle Tennessee, and those numbers that you mentioned that were very favorable to Miami, the miss block here, the detail here, those turn into Those points. add up, of course. So, you know, it's about progress, but I'm not going to sugarcoat and say any, you know, nine, nine points is, uh, is distressing. Yeah, especially when you're in the red zone as much as Miami was, um, you know, just, just couldn't, couldn't punch at home, obviously. By the way, I mentioned 19.5 points a game, which puts us in the 90s. That's that does not include Bethune. I mentioned Bethune, but it's it's actually that's just Southern Miss plus Texas A and M. But still, you're ranking in the 90s. That's not good, you know, as far as your your scoring production against FBS defenses. So, uh, two games, small sample size, plenty of season left, but you are what 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 your numbers say you are in a lot of respects. You're off as a coordinator, so let's see what happens to that as you play. Uh, a middle Tennessee defense is vulnerable and then geared to that North Carolina game, which could be a shootout and your offense is going to be under, under a lot of pressure to score. So what do you want to see next week offensively? Obviously everyone wants to see the, you know, TVD throw for 400 yards and want to see them air it out right after last weekend struggles. You, that's just what the Canes fan wants to see, but realistically, right. And you mentioned that UNC game. What are some things next week that you think could be building blocks moving forward? Van Dyke having a big game, 
that's you know he's been the center of a lot of controversy, and we could talk about that too. But coming off really not I and mean, none of those three games, you could say he was clicking on all cylinders. Maybe the first game Bethune, but that was easy. The, he didn't play great against Southern Miss. He played okay. He missed some reads, and then same thing as Texas A and M. So can he just have a just a lights out, unbelievable game against against Middle Tennessee at home? and get some of that energy coming back and that confidence coming back. Can we see somebody step up at wide receiver? Again, a Romello Brinson would be perfect to just have a blowout game where you feel say, like we're, we're asking for, for it every week. One of these weeks, we're going to be we're gonna be right. Well, the receivers are dropping, so he's going to be the last one. <laughs> it has left. to be. So uh, let's see what happens. Or someone else might step up. Right. You know, someone new, like a, like a Jaleel Skinner at tight end. Just something happening on the offense that gets people excited. Um, maybe Rooster breaking a big run. Getting Rooster maybe a little bit more involved in the passing game. Right. I mean, he's going to play North Carolina in a couple of weeks. You saw what he did last time against those guys. Um, so those are the kind of things. And, you know, just while we're talking about TVD, obviously he made a lot of noise with the comments about the fans. If you read it, look at the video, I think, you first of all, he needs to be more aware than that. You got to be a little smarter than that when you're answering questions. He was not being very aware or smart of what he was if you can't conduct yourself in the media with some sort of restraint you know don't don't do the appearance but i i didn't sense any malice i think he's just the kind of guy he's a straight shooter he's an honest guy um he's not like a a a talker like that so they asked if he likes playing the road he said yeah he likes a college atmosphere which miami you know when miami has a great atmosphere it's not a college atmosphere you know so i I, it was not the one miami does i mean Obviously, there's varying levels to it. Last weekend was as good as it's going to get, atmosphere-wise, but Miami always does bring the best out of, of teams on the road. Yeah, and look, if you did not like TVD's comments about the, the fan base, which, again, I think really we're not about the fan base, just kind of about the fact that we're not a college town like that, go to the game on Saturday. I'll be there. Let's, let's go to the game. Let's fill it up as much as we can. You know, The student section, my seats are in the, in the club right above the student section, so I'm looking at them. Uh, it's kind of a weak group usually of be, being real, you know, maybe if they advertise a Justin Bieber concert at halftime of the game, you know, we might get a little bit more of the students coming out, but whatever it takes, get out, show him that he's, he should like playing at home because he's going to get an experience. Otherwise don't complain. In my view, show up. He didn't say anything that was wrong, stupid to say, but he went wrong. So I would like to see another thing I'd like to see. I'd like to see a decent crowd. I know you didn't get a great performance. I get that. That that kills momentum. That's something that's unfortunate. But I, I will say though, because we talked about this a lot last week, is you know the the potential momentum swing. It, it felt a little bit different. I know you were there and you made your post that said you know you're you're tired of making the same the same post, right? Which which a lot of that you know there, there's truth to pretty much everything you said there, but. On the same token, it was a little bit different in terms of the way they competed, right? So I don't know that all momentum and all hope is gone just yet. No, at all. I mean, it's so early. You're seeing positive signs. If Miami's offensive line is a consistent strength with the the behemoths that are getting recruited right now, it's going to be hard for them to be bad, even if they have the most boring offense in the world. It's just going to be hard to be bad with that kind of offensive line. So plenty of great signs but you're spending a lot of money on on offensive staff and you have a quarterback and you have a you have an offensive line 
Those are the things that kill an offense. It's very hard to be a bad offense with a great quarterback or at least a very talented Hot commodities, yeah. Right, and an offensive line that's protecting that quarterback and making, you know, generating push in the running game, finally. So everybody expects more. Nobody expects him more than Gaddis. Gaddis, you know, I saw um, someone on the board mentioned it's not Madden. It's true. I mean, Gaddis can't just press the buttons and make it happen. There needs to be execution. And clearly there were execution errors all over the field on Saturday. Wide receiver group being the, the biggest culprit, but not just only them. Um, running backs missed some opportunities. TVD missed some opportunities. Um, you know, there's more that can be done on the offense from a player standpoint. But it, it needs to happen and it needs to start now because – you want your offense playing at a higher level heading into North Carolina, which is going to be, at this point, the game of the year because you don't want to lose that one after losing this one. Looking at Middle, Middle Tennessee State, uh, when we did this, the, the Southern Miss preview, I kind of gave the, the receiver, Brown Lee, a, a shout-out. The kid that I'll mention this week for Middle Tennessee State to watch is uh, DN edge guy Jordan Ferguson, number nine. Um, he he plays kind of like how Miami uses Mesidor, so they'll move him inside on pass rushing situations. Um, but he's been one of the most productive guys in the country from a pass rush standpoint the last couple of years. And yeah, I've heard, I, you know I've heard a lot of good things. Obviously, my guy Rob Jones with the Dolphins, the Middle Tennessee State guy, and he talks him up, you know, very highly. Um, so he's a guy to watch. You know, you're confident with Miami's offensive line right now, um, but. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, uh, you know, make some plays out there. You mentioned their pass rusher, and that is what Middle Tennessee does. They're number one in the nation right now in sack percentage. Miami's fifth. Um, they're getting a sack almost 15% of dropbacks, which is huge. They were very good last year in terms of disruptive plays. That is their defense. It's not the most dominant defense in the world, even at that level, but it is disruptive. So Texas A&M, that's a different animal. You're talking about good on good as far as you know, athletic ability and size with those trenches. That's probably the most telling performance just as far as how far we've come. Very encouraging. I would compare this more to Southern Miss where Southern Miss had us making communication errors, allowing some pressures that shouldn't have been allowed. Um, that was tight enough for the Texas A&M game. Now Middle Tennessee is going to bring a whole different challenge. Can you adjust to that? Because build those habits and build that, that strong communication in games like this, it'll show up when you play that amazing Clemson defensive line um, and other teams of that nature. So I would, if, from offensive line standpoint, are we going to be tighter than we were against Southern Miss against a very disruptive front? That's something I'd be looking for. Yeah, I want to see them clean up all the mistakes. Obviously, we, we mentioned special teams. I want to see them have a clean game there. Penalties. You saw Cristobal, you know, he seems like every game there's there's one of those, you know, moments where he, he the, the camera catches him uh, with the players. We saw this a lot at Oregon, too, but it's refreshing, right? Because we haven't seen this in, in so long. It feels like um, so all that stuff is great, but this is the last game that they really have an opportunity to work a lot of these kinks out before we get into the meat of the ACC. Absolutely. And you had progress against Texas and then, but you had clear areas of improvement with special teams, scoring offense, you know, red zone offense, wide receiver. So if you can solve those problems and you can't, you know, there's no waiver wire, there's no trades. So it needs to be internal, but if you can have that internal improvement and make tweaks, you'd be a whole different team. I look back to Miami in 2016 when Rick lost four close games, pretty close games. And people were pretty, 
depressed, you know, thinking that it was not going to work with Rick. He made some tweaks to the offense. Um, they won that NC State game. Brad Kayab was just going off to end the year, blew out West Virginia in the bowl, and that was a pretty good team. Honestly, maybe better than the 2017 team. If you know the team at two, if the team at the end of 2016 played that 2017 team, I think 2016 might have won, but right. it didn't look that way when they had four losses early. So it's about how they develop and how they grow and how they, to me, how they finish the year because this is Mario's first year. And if I see a team at the end of the year that's clicking on all cylinders, I'm going to feel very confident about the direction of this program. All right, D, when we come back, we'll take questions from the Canes Insight community. As always, like, subscribe on YouTube, and you can find us on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Yeah, we're on social media now, too. You see us on Twitter, Facebook, Canes Insight. Uh, we got Instagram, Canes.Insight. Twitter space is coming soon, too. Twitter space is coming soon. TikTok. Uh, I'll ask the kids to teach me how wow. to use it, but that's that's already that's 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 there and coming, so... Uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of ways to get your, your content, and uh, it's going to keep going up and up. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canes wear still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season, you know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing. Invest in yourself. Invest in your wardrobe. Look. No more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era. New gear. Same old Canes wear. The best in the business for South Florida sports. All right, D. We'll start it off with the first question from Miami Vice 7. How realistic is it to expect the offense to implement changes and what specific types of changes are feasible? The offense is the offense. It's, it's not going to be a new offense overnight. You could see more scoring and more execution. There's an offense that put up a lot of yards, got a lot of first downs, did a lot of good things. So from their standpoint, they want better execution, better uh, performance in the red zone, more explosive plays when they're available. So, you know, they're looking at it like they're close. The other aspect, which I think is realistic, if you listen to Marlowe's press conference, he talked about schematic adjustments. He, those were his exact words. Not, that was not fan talk. That was Mario. What we've seen in the NFL, I think back to Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien, sometimes when a, you want to get a young quarterback going, you will bring things in that he did well in college to the NFL. You're not going to run the college system in the NFL, but you will take little elements things, of the offense, elements of the offense to make the quarterback more comfortable. That happens all the time, especially in this new age of, of spread offenses, then going to the pros with someone like TVD, obviously he's still in college, but you might take something he did, some things he did with Rhett Lashley and try to mix those in within the offense. I could see some of that, some more RPO, uh, just some things that he did well on tape and he's comfortable with and he liked, and he tells you, I, I like making this throw. I like throwing to this part of the field. I like this route. You know, I think you're going to see more uh, easy throws for Tyler to try to build back his confidence because they'll say all the right things, but he's not the same guy from an accuracy standpoint, from a rhythm standpoint that he was last year. So you want to build him back to that. And the best way to do that is by incorporating easy throws, built-in easy throws, and then also things he's comfortable with maybe from last year. Same offense. I'm not saying it's going to be a different offense, but maybe those little things will get him in better rhythm. 
which will allow him to execute better, which will allow some of the good things that you did to turn into more points on the scoreboard. All right, here you go. All right, so for you, Pete, is the offensive gameplay actually impacting recruiting or are the message boards overblowing? And that's from AL Miami. So obviously, as I've said before in the first couple episodes, I don't follow recruiting as closely as I once did when I was interviewing these guys and, and really out on the scene. I, I have been going to games this year. So I, you know, I, I talked about the Washington brothers, for example. I've seen them a few times. But just from my experience in covering it and being around and having an idea of how these guys think, obviously, as a fan, you want to see them score points and, and put up big numbers and, and win these games, right? One or two games is not going to sway a player, right? No matter how big the game is. Now, if this trend continues throughout the season, yeah, it may be a little tougher to sell the product on the offensive side of the ball, but I can tell you how a lot of guys think. They'll look at it like, man, their receivers aren't very good. I have an opportunity to go in there and play. And yes, there was an effort for them to bring some guys in the transfer portal and whatnot, um, you know, in the springtime. Obviously, you know, they weren't able to do that. But at the same time now, you know, hypothetically, if there if these struggles continued, right, to a certain degree, um, they're they're going to be able to look at it and say, and I'm talking about these guys in the portal or whoever else they're, they're looking at in, in, you know, the recruiting uh, scene. They'll look at it and say, man, there's a real opportunity for me to get on the field early and make an impact. Yeah, and that's going to be the pitch to somebody like Tyler Williams out of Lakeland, who by all accounts will be at the game on Saturday. Not confirmed, but that's where the trend is. And I posted the bank earlier this week that we're making a strong move towards Tyler Williams. Now you're seeing other recruiting sites pick that up after we posted it on Kane's Insight. So that's real. That's a real thing. It's not done by any means. Momentum is good. If he makes it down to the game, that's great. And if you're pitching to him, you're saying, look, quarterback, good. Offensive line, good. Running back, good. Defense, good. We need that A1 top-level receiver. That should be you. And I think if he makes it down, which if you ask me today, ask anyone today, that's the plan. He'll be down here this weekend. You know, he has a chance to – he's committing on Tuesday. Basketball background, uh, kick returner quarterback things that if you look at receivers come in a lot of different shapes and sizes but basketball players usually translate when it comes to the ability to go and track the ball to pluck the ball out of the air something that Miami lacked this last game plucking the ball as opposed to letting it get into you and get broken up he has that with his size at six six two he's a returner so returners to me I wish every receiver was a returner because change of direction explosiveness even a guy like you know Keenan Allen, who's not the fastest guy in the world, he was a punt returner in college, and you see that with his route running. So I'm a big fan of returners, basketball players, and the guy was also a quarterback. Quarterbacks playing receiver, those guys are smart. They're instinctual. They know where, the, where, where to go. They can, you know, they're, they're more advanced when it comes to understanding leverage, understanding the soft spots in his own, being quarterback friendly, coming back and helping your quarterback. So uh, big, huge fan of Tyler Williams out of Lakeland. George is the competition. He's been projected there for a while. Great relationship with, with BMAC, the receivers coach there. Obviously the number one team in the country. Former Miami receivers coach. Right. But Miami's making a move there. And if Miami can beat out the number one team in the country for a A1 level receiver, now you got Tyler Williams, you got Robbie Washington, you got Ray Ray Joseph. And I can assure you there's going to be a lot of action in the portal for Miami. Those are real receivers. All right. 
So this next one from C Sarvis three, why no Skinner so far? Couldn't he be used as a pass catcher? I'm surprised Skinner hasn't played more. I think that's going to change. Mario had the comments today in the in the presser uh, with Skinner. He's not going to solve your problem as far as like you throw it down the field, then he goes up and is mossing guys. Even though he's tall, he's not that kind of uh, pass catcher yet where he just is a jump ball specialist or something along those lines. He has the body for it, but he's still getting there. What he brings that is very unique is his ability to eat up grass after the catch. If you get him to him on the run, he is going to stride with tremendous turnover you know, and speed in his legs. And just before you know it, he's 60 yards downfield scoring. We saw that in practice multiple times. Scrimmages, live contact, he was able to make plays, especially with Jake Garcia quarterback. Uh, they have a connection. So this game, can you get him, get him in that green grass and see what he can do and get his confidence up? He's a, you know, is, is he going to move to that X receiver? No, but he can play in the slot. He can do a lot of things that Joku did when you had Herndon and Njoku. So a lot you can do with Skinner. I think you'll see more of him. I'm quite frankly surprised we haven't seen more to this point. But now when you need playmakers, he's a guy who can make plays. I would expect to see Skinner more as the season goes on, especially in that after-the-catch, short pass to long gain type of role. Here's the next one. Let's see, Pete. So we're looking at Kane Life 93. He said, what would you consider a success this week versus Middle Tennessee State? Well, right out of the gate, I want to see them come out with, you know, with the energy that you would sometimes uh, not expect a Miami team to have coming off a loss, at least in the last decade or so, right? Um, in a game that is not going to be as hyped up, you know, could be looked at as a trap game, right? These, It, it has the signs of a game that, you know, Miami would uh, kind of sleepwalk through, right? So come out and score first time they get the ball, right? You want to see some explosive plays downfield, especially in the passing game, but the run game too, because they haven't necessarily broken. It's been, you know, they've plotted downfield, right? It's been a lot of 10, 15 yard runs, right? But not, not many, 20 plus yard runs right so when we talk about the explosive plays yes the passing game you know should open those long runs up as well but we haven't seen those in 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 the run game right and then the line of scrimmage right it's been a strength but you want to continue to build on that and dominate that line of scrimmage not just you know we saw what they did last week they held their own but really go out there you talked about you know from the defensive line from for Middle Tennessee State, their their pressure rates up front. Um, so a clean game there. Special teams, why? Just I wanted to see a clean game overall. That it's not. Oh well, they have to win by six touch. I don't. The score is the score. If they play a clean game, right? And these other things that we're talking about in terms of the passing game, clean themselves up, right? Then they'll blow them out. But th- that will come after we see you know, these mistakes cleaned up. Yeah, all their goals are in front of them. I've heard that before, but... They can still win the Coastal. They can still win the ACC. They can still go to the playoff. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they're going to play Clemson. They might play Clemson twice. You know, what if you beat Clemson twice? What if you win all these other games that you're supposed to? So, this is an important game. It's part of the building process. I, I know I'm coming off negative lately just because it was deflating to see. I'm uh, usually the one who gets the heat. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to be making a show about it, but I can't say I'm not disappointed. 
you know, so we'll see how they grow. We'll see how they develop. I'll be there middle Tennessee bright and early uh, expecting to see good quality football and good improvement. And we've seen that it, it's not been, you know, what are we paying for in any facet? You're seeing improvement across the team. Now there's certain areas that we, we just want to see that. And, you know, you, you hit on a few special teams, protection with some exotic blitzes, uh, receiver, obviously, and some, some sharpness from, from Van Dyke. So uh, last one for me here, Pete. So last one here. And I think this is this is this is one that a lot of Canes fans uh, have wondered uh, this week. Why is Leonard Taylor not getting more snaps? It's not hard to see how talented this guy is. You saw it in the pass rush that he was able to get home against Texas A&M. The tackles for loss he's made in pretty much every game. Just the way he moves. This guy is an NFL talent, a true, a truly gifted player, blue chip recruit, the kind of guy that you need to be. Miami. He's all those things. He's as advertised. Defensive line is a down-in, down-out position, at times thankless. Some of the best defensive linemen in history were not making splash plays. Richard Seymour, who's about to go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, can you think of Richard Seymour highlights in your head? Probably not, but the guy was an impact player because of the things he did from a physicality standpoint, from a discipline standpoint, IQ, technique. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And if you're making a beautiful play in the backfield one snap, and then the next one you get a little overzealous, get out of your gap, and there's a, there's a long chunk run, you're not really a net positive. So that's why I think Taylor's getting towards is cutting out some of the negative plays, some of the bad habits for Manny, just general maturity. I mean, he's a sophomore, a true sophomore at a position that's very difficult. And he was not the heaviest guy to begin with, so he has to... At a deep up. position for Miami. A deep position with high expectations of performance right now. So people ask in spring, are you concerned about Taylor and, and, and camp? Are you concerned about Taylor? He's coming along at the right pace. They're going to push him. They're going to hold him accountable. And I think at the end of the process, you're going to have a guy who's strong enough to take on blocks, who's smart and disciplined, but at the same time still has that explosiveness and ability to impact the passer inside, which is to me, the most valuable commodity in all of defensive football. If you ask me what's the number one thing that you could have on the defensive side of the ball, I would say a defensive tackle who can get to the quarterback consistently. Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, the two best defensive players of this era, I think it's fair to say. I can't think of anybody else. Uh, both of those guys, they made their living getting that pressure inside because you can't step up in the pocket and avoid those rushers like you've seen Tom Brady do so many times where the – Pressure comes off the edge, he takes a step up, and he delivers the ball. You can't do that if the pressure's right. coming right from the middle. That's what Leonard Taylor can bring and brings in flashes. Now it's about rounding out his game, turning him into a truly complete, a complete player. Because I promise you, Georgia, for all the talented guys they have, they're not jumping out of gaps and making those mistakes and playing and starting. Those guys are very disciplined, very physically strong, very consistent on top of the athletic ability. And that's why they get drafted in the first round and they come in ready to play. Taylor is working towards that and he's, he's right on track. There's no need for anybody to be frustrated. He is on the track where he needs to be and uh, obvious talent. Yeah, the flashes are, are very exciting with him and you just want to see him like a lot of guys. Um, you know, this next week is just continue to stack those good performances. DJ Ivy want to see him stack those those performances. Camp Kitchens, you're starting to see what he is week in, week out. 
he's emerged. I think I said in one of the podcasts I thought he'd be an MVP candidate for this team. He I did. think I think that that is you know looking like a possibility, right? So um, storylines starting to emerge, right? This is a bounce back week for Miami and and Coach Cristobal and and the whole team. Obviously, uh, I'm excited. I think that you know hopefully the the energy is good in in Hard Rock this weekend uh, and and. TVD has, uh, you know, the fans out there that, that, he, that he's looking for and, you know, build upon that hopeful win this weekend going into ACC play. Yeah, bring the energy. If you can't go, go support the team, make some noise. It's, it's a process, and to say you're not seeing progress would be a lie because a lot of people expected this to get beat up physically. Forget the scoreboard, to get pushed around physically, to be overwhelmed on the offensive line because we'd seen it so many years. You didn't see those things, so I know I'm coming off as 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 a moat by my standards, but well, and look, it wasn't a, a great A and M team, but Miami has been pushed around by not great teams in the past. Yeah, those are five star players. Those are high level development uh, products as far as the weight room and, and the coaching they've received. Those guys are are are, are big dudes. They beat Bama last year with a physical performance. It was not smoke and mirrors when they beat Bama. They, they stood up physically, and we stood up to them. So that that gap is closing. Very encouraging. There should be a gap in the SEC, in the ACC now where Miami is the more physical team on both sides of the ball, especially in the trenches. You know They should have a physical advantage, offensive and defensive line against North Carolina, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clemson is the one where you, you, know, you become more, it's more of an even matchup or, or a deficit, but you're closing the gap. So... A lot of progress, still early. Let's see if those kinks can get get resolved and uh, development. Because you you preach development, you preach coaching, you spend money on coaching. Let's see that manifest on the field with these improvements. I'm confident we'll we'll see some of that. Kane's Inside Podcast brought brought to you by Kane'sware. We'll be back next week. We'll recap Middle Tennessee State and we'll look forward. Uh, well, I guess it'll be a bye week after that, right? So. Um, we'll bring maybe bring you some recruiting updates. I see a lot of people asking for some recruiting info, so uh, look to get maybe a recruiting guest on the show. Absolutely, and it's gonna it's gonna heat up, and uh, it's still going strong. This is gonna be a, a hell of a class, and now it's about showing what these coaches can do as coaches. And I think I'm excited to see how this team progresses with the coaching part of it.